Game of Thrones, your weekly recap for HBO's uh, clown epidemic of 2016, A Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Hello, Brian. Good evening, Doug. And today we have a shameful guest. It's been a while since we had a guest. Um, this week it is our good pal, Tim. How are you doing, Tim? Hi. I'm well. Happy Excellent. to be here. Happy to be there? Okay. Um, let's talk about your origin story as far as uh, Game of Thrones, the TV show, and or the books. Oh, um, well, I don't know if you remember this, but I read the first book because at some point I had been talking, I, I think I was visiting Boston right before the show was coming out and talked to you about it, and then you mailed me the first book, actually. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, that, that was very nice. Yeah, you sent me yeah. uh, the fan, so that was really depressing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it so. wasn't the one that was based off the um, Patton Oswald movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a fan's notes? Oh, yeah, yeah a fan's about. notes. That's what yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, uh, so, pretty fair trade. Um, but So, I read that, um, and I enjoyed the first book, but for, I don't know, I got caught up. I never, I've only read the first book, and then... But then I'm all caught up on the um, watching the the show. So and did you just say, get did you just get swept up in the you know cultural phenomenon with people talking about it and wanting to watch it? Kind of. Um, I actually didn't start watching it right away, and then at some point it was even on like season three had already maybe even just finished, and then I started and just watched them all within like a couple weeks. I don't know why I resisted it at first. Yeah. It seems odd. I think you're the only person I've heard of that read one of the books but did not continue on to read the books. Especially considering you're a pretty voracious reader. At least you used to be. Yeah. Still am. Still am. Probably doing the best reading of my life right now. That's good. Yeah. You've been working up to that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I like the the books on like the a plot level, I guess. and stuff. But I, I, I didn't really... The writing was kind of annoying on, like, maybe on a sentence. I, I didn't really... Would you... I mean, I just no, don't No, think, no, no, like, no. That's, that's, this is the kind of stuff we want to hear about. Because, you know, I feel like uh, when I first read the, the first book, I was intrigued and wanted to read the second and the third. And I feel like I didn't appreciate it um, as much uh, until, like, further, like, rereads. So, like, I didn't think it was anything too terribly special the first time um actually the book was given to me by a friend who wanted to do a book club and it was like on these like you know top tens lists um uh so, so i you know i did it because i was just looking for a new book and i thought it was okay. pretty good but like it seems to have just caught on like wildfire and i don't know um why but um it, it definitely didn't grab me initially either. Like I was intrigued, but I wasn't like, okay, this is the best shit in the world or definitely not something I'm, that's worth podcasting about for, Oh God, what's half a year now almost. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. So that's about mine. I was like, this is good. I'm glad, glad I read it. it was, uh, you know, there was definitely the more unique aspects of that story, but then I thought it was, yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit maybe overly long in some part you know there were just there's always i guess inevitably there's going to be chapters that you're not as interested in or or characters yeah 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 great time i remember being really annoyed by hatlin's character in the first book for some reason i can't remember why exactly but i just wasn't a fan so she's a um, nag that's probably yeah i think that, that, that i think that was the root of it 
Uh, okay, so let's uh, just let's transition into the show. Obviously, this the show's called um, Ashamed of Thrones because, you know, as much as I enjoy the show and I do enjoy the show as a whole, there's just some there's some moments, especially the sexual violence and some of the show invention stuff that's just like awful. That's like cringeworthy. Um, do you get any of that, or do you just generally just enjoy the show and don't um, criticize it or anything like that? What's the deal? Oh, for me? Oh, um, no, I would say I criticize it. <laughs> I, I, um, I was thinking actually maybe within maybe not so much this, but was like maybe season four and five, I was coming close to getting to being like a hate watcher. Yeah. It seemed like every, every, every scene guy was like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate this storyline. Oh, I hate this <laughs> But then I kept watching it. So I think I just like, I'm critical. I guess I go back and forth. So, you know, I know that it's a TV show and you cut it some slack. And I just tend to, sometimes I think I nitpick a little bit too much on some of that. I don't know. We, I mean, I, I started to hate watch season five for sure. Like season five with the whole Dorn thing and uh, Sansa getting raped on screen. All this stuff made me just want to like hate. I, I was still going to watch the show, but it wasn't enjoyable anymore. Um, That's right where I was at with that. Right. Maybe four wasn't quite so bad. Was four or the mountain versus the like the? Marcel? I believe so. It was the second half of yes. Storm of Swords. So you had okay. you had uh, Tywin getting murdered by Tyrion. Uh, there was a oh, bunch okay. of like, you know, huge moments in that that season. Oh yeah, I remember that being yeah, being pretty. That whole those last couple episodes of that season just being like, whoa, didn't see that. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like we're anyway, on the same yeah. page. So let's let's jump right into this this episode. We are reviewing uh, season two, episode five, "The Ghost of Harrenhal." Um, and uh, initial impressions for me, I, I don't know. This seemed to have a lot of show invention stuff that I wasn't a big fan of. Um, obviously, it starts off with a bang, and it kind of ends in a whimper um, with um, whatever uh, Renly getting murdered. Um, so. Uh, I guess a middling episode yet again. I think that's the uh, theme for season two so far. Um, Brian and then Tim, what are your thoughts initially of the show? I agree with you. It was, it was middling and some of the motivation of the characters I just didn't understand was what they were thinking or what was going on. Um, but it, it, I know I say this every single episode recap. In retrospect, a lot of the things were very interesting that were happening here. Like Marjorie saying that she wants to be the queen or we meet the, uh, we begin to understand the power of Jack and Hagar. So some of the stuff is interesting in retrospect, but in all in all, it was just a middling episode. But again, a middling episode of Game of Thrones is about as good as a good episode of almost, you know, 99%, 95% of television shows. Yep. Tim, any thoughts initially? Yeah, that was my impression. I was like, it's fine. Yep. You know, it was uh, oh, no, I didn't hate, I didn't really have a strong dislike for any of the scenes or anything like that. Um, but then it wasn't, it seemed kind of, yeah, just kind of a little disjointed, a little all over the place and just a bunch of scenes just put together. Yeah. yeah we, we, we've complained about it in the past when they do uh, kind of the whip around thing where they just have a minute here and then two minutes there. And I think this show, this episode was particularly guilty of just whipping back and forth between scenes. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that was my one. Yeah, that was my impression. But I thought some of the yeah, I liked some of the scenes. Sure. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I was 
It's just interesting. I, I watched um, this episode and then the last, the couple, basically the all uh, up to up to season two. It's just I haven't I haven't gone back to just seeing some of these characters now. It's it's. it's so this is your back. first rewatch, like uh, like yeah. me and Brian. Yeah. Right. So, so it, just I, seeing, and I think it is. Um, it, yeah. It's yeah. Go ahead. Or just seeing those kind. Of, yeah, seeing people that are much further along in their journey now. Yeah, just like just going back and be like, oh yeah. That was like that struck me the most with I guess the um, right. So I think in the, this episode and the episode just previously is when he made kind of his faith, faithful choice to right. He was going to write that letter letter to Rob, and then he burned it, and then and then this episode he kind of I guess we're I'm getting ahead, but then that's when he decides the his his plot to yeah. But I think your you know, bigger point is that it's just. Um, it's interesting in hindsight seeing all these like characters based on what we know as a rewatch, but like trying to judge this as a like a first watch through as a show, that's hard to do. Um, yes, yeah, definitely. But uh, but let's jump right in. All right. Yep. Okay, so we start off at uh, Renly's camp, as I affectionately refer to it as the Ren Fair. <laughs> and for some reason, Catelyn and uh, Renly are brokering an alliance with the North and. Um, Renly's half of the Baratheon equation, and it seems like she's been trying to do this since she got there. I don't know why it kind of works this time. Um, besides it just being like you know this, the conversation has to happen now for what's going to happen next. Um, but Renly yeah. says that uh, yeah, Rob can keep going, keep on calling himself the King in the North, uh, and he can have everything north of Moat Kalen. He just has to obey the laws and basically be a subject of the king. So he would be a king in only name. Um, and I guess that's fine. I mean, it doesn't sound like he wants the crown anyway. Um, and then they'll team up to, after uh, Renly defeats Stannis, they'll team up to take on the Lannisters. And this sounds like a great plan, uh, which means it's all going to go to shit. Uh, Catelyn again tries to get Renly to uh, come to peace with his brother. But Renly, I think, appropriately assesses that that's impossible because of who Stannis is. And then all of a sudden, a the shadow baby that was birthed in the previous episode comes into the tent. Yeah, scary, right? And it, just in time for Halloween. Uh, comes into the tent and stabs Renly from behind with a ghost blade of some sort. Uh, Renly falls dead as guards enter, uh, only seeing Cat, Caitlin and uh, Brienne. Uh, they assume that they are the culprits and try to attack. Uh, Brienne makes short work of the guards, and then Catelyn gets... Brienne to flee the scene with promises of vengeance, saying you can't avenge him if you're dead. You know, so basically, this is vengeance is the is a theme in this episode for sure, or the promise of it. Uh, and yeah. real quick, uh, I just want to say that this is uh, one of those like uh, discretionary moments where Martin uses like just full on magic, um, and that's why this show is great because they don't do it a lot, or at least not in the beginning here. Um, you know, all none of these people, none of these characters that I can remember have any magical dealings before be, before this. Um, so I think it's it's cool because something magical happens, and then they have to mundanely deal with the not supernatural fallout of it all, and have to go back to the political machinations. That's what I thought was interesting. Is they they. Both Brienne and Kat seem pretty nonplussed after it occurred, right. and thought of it practically like get the hell out of here. Um, a couple other things I don't understand at the beginning of this scene why Kat was so reluctant, or I'm, I'm sorry that uh, Renly was so re- or yeah Renly he was so reluctant to 
agree to Cat's terms. I mean, I think they are about as good a terms as he could hope for. Although he might be thinking that he has enough man- manpower that he doesn't have to have to worry about joining the Starks because the Starks and the Lannisters look like they're on a crash uh, or, or a path where they're just going to kind of crush each other, and le- he just has to go in and pick up. You know, yeah, what's if left he would have just probably just point. hung back a little bit, I'm sure yeah. they would have been weakened enough that he could. And then the, 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 the other thing I just I seemed odd about the scene is nobody else came running into the tent. It's just those two guys. I guess they came. I mean, the, there was really I mean, no. The only chaos was Brienne like crying out. There wasn't a big yeah. commotion. Um, so I guess that yeah. makes sense. I'll excuse it, I guess. But uh, it seemed goofy. But I mean, I understand. It has to be the show. It just seemed uh, one of those things where you like you're like, what the heck? Why, why aren't there more people here? You know, but yeah. uh, no, no big deal. Yeah, game. they couldn't track him down even when they left the tent. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. they got away pretty good, even though like he's got a hundred thousand men or whatever it is. I'm sure they got through all the. That's 100, one of those 000. things, right? Yeah. Just like the tent has a bathroom window they could go out of. They got away. <laughs> right. I mean, in, in, in the books, I clearly, re- I mean, not clearly because I haven't read them in a while, but I remember them like leaving the tent and Catelyn's like, be cool, be cool, pretend not to be high. You know what I mean? They'll know. Like they, they like walk like casually. She's like, don't run, just walk and we'll walk, walk and then we'll get to the horses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it does show a little bit of their escape, but here they just, they got away. Um, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, not a big deal. It's- but later, yeah. uh, Littlefinger observes Stannis' fleet moving in, um, and Renly's camp is in chaos. Littlefinger seizes the opportunity and approaches the Tyrells. Both Large Marge and uh, Loras are mourning Renly, and he Ty, uh, Littlefinger gets Loras on board with uh, joining the Lannisters, basically for revenge as well. Uh, and it seems like Loras immediately assumes it's uh, Stannis because he had the most to gain, which is apt, but I don't think that it, it just makes it seem like it's too neat and perfect. Like nobody believes it was Catelyn and, um, uh, what's her face? Yeah. Brienne. seems like that would be the yeah, more, more obvious choice. Like, no, she wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> like, that yeah, exactly. Like, like, no, I know she wouldn't. Do you think that's uh, just to, to protect the character? It made no sense. It really did. I don't know how they'd have any idea because it's not like the, the soldiers or the guards were in there when the ghost of Stannis showed up. Yeah, uh, there's this, no witness to that or that yes. around anymore. Makes no sense at all. Um, and then I, I mean, I think the only the only logical explanation for somebody not in that tent that didn't see the ghost is that either Brienne and or Cat killed him and were either in cahoots. Right. You'd have to assume they were in cahoots because they Stannis, both flee. Right. Yeah. So, right. so it, it, yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but this is the second time when somebody is motivated by the promise of revenge. Like Littlefinger even says, he says vengeance or revenge at some point. So like within like five minutes, we have two promises of revenge. And I think one of the themes of the story as a whole is revenge is bad. Okay. Um, but that's just me. Anyway, and then Large Marge gets worked over and we find out that her ultimate motivation is ambition. And she doesn't want to be just any queen. She wants to be the queen. Um, not much going on here. I, I will say it's just, I guess Littlefinger just hung out this entire time. Um, it was crazy that he was there from the get go. Um, what was he there for? We discussed this last episode. We don't oh, know. Okay. okay. He just kind of pops up sometimes and is doing his wheeling and dealing. Right. We discussed Ostensibly this he was there to, in order to, yeah, he's so supposedly there on behalf of the Lannisters, but it seems like he was there actually to, um, Further his own interests and offer the offer King's Landing to Renly, um, 
as in exchange for him keeping his position. It seemed to be the, the easiest exa- or uh, easiest uh, explanation for what was going on there. Right, and I we assume he was sent by Tyrion. Maybe that was uh, made apparent, but I don't remember it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he did show his hand by saying he could be helpful to Renly if Renly is going to be the winner. So we know what his, his motivations were, but I don't know why he was sent there by the Lannisters, per se. Yeah, I thought it was kind of odd that Renly didn't have any succession plan, or there was no, like, what happens if I am killed? <clears throat> they, it just Everybody just kind of skedaddled after he was killed, and That's that was true. it. I mean, it, it, it did happen fast, and I guess his plan was to knock up Marjorie, and they were only married for two weeks, but still... Um, you're right. It's not a good plan. Um, and then yeah. we get into secession talk, uh, at least in the books when Rob is killed because Rob does fill out a will and names an heir. It's not made specifically clear who it is, but it's more than wow. likely Jon Snow, um, or possibly Kate, Catelyn Stark or somebody else. We don't, we don't know, but, um, even Rob had a will, uh, made up. So sure. So they're concerned sure. about secession, obviously, or, yeah, the line of secession, as they should be. That's the Renly stuff. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, how long did he even have that? Yeah, that stuff's all happening so quickly. He was, uh, you know, he had a good what? I don't know the timeline, but a couple of weeks of having like this army, and um, and then he's dead. Or, you know, that's fair. I think that's fair. Right. I liked um just. It was interesting. I I liked Renly a lot more this time around for some reason. I thought he was like kind of like a like oh Renly's not so bad. Like I think the first time I didn't really think one think about him at all, but at certain points I thought he was kind of charming. And I think they probably did that because he was going to die like in the next minute. But you're like oh he's being totally reasonable and like yeah. everything's going to work out fine. And he's like <laughs> oh we can have this war wrapped up in a fortnight. And then like five seconds later that the shadow baby thing comes and like shines him. <laughs> Like what could go wrong? Oh, there's a shadow, a shadow baby assassin thing. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> they, they didn't, they didn't plan for that contingency. Yeah, <laughs> idiots, <laughs> unprepared, completely. All right, so then we head down to King's Landing, and Tyrion and Cersei are discussing the death of Renly, uh, and what should be a cause for celebration in the books, um, but it's all business here. Uh, Cersei seems still angry that uh, her daughter Marcella is being shipped off to Dorne. Uh, Cersei also explains that um, the king has a secret plan to defend the city against the siege, regardless of whether it was uh, Renly or Stannis. Um, but I, I believe in the book, this scene uh, is more of a genuine moment where they share relief and joy over the um, the death of Renly because it's one more one less obstacle to deal with. And I think she's overjoyed and actually kisses her brother for the first time. Well, you know, not in that way, not in a Jamie way, but just as like a friendly um, moment. So it's a lot more interesting in the books. And it's oh, really, yeah. do you remember that at all? Anybody? Uh, no, I don't recall, but that makes sense. Right? I guess and, they just don't have time for that kind of nuance, I guess. In I, the, I don't know, but I it was like the one moment where they had like a brother and sisterly moment. And, it, and we just don't get that at all in the uh, show that I remember. Anyway, uh, Tyrion ruins the whole uh, nice moment in the books by handing her the laxative or sneaking laxative into a drink that he got from Pycelle a couple <laughs> episodes back. But they don't do that in the show at all. Oh, it's shit. just all we end is is <laughs> all we end on is uh, you know the king has some secret way to defend the city, um, and that's like the you know the MacGuffin for this episode uh, for what transpires in King's Landing. Yeah, I never. Do, what is? Do we know why is there such a conflict between Cersei and Tyrion? Well, Cersei. Do we know? 
Cersei blames Tyrion for killing her mother. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's I just stupid. took it to be that she was a shallow person and he was an ugly person. You know what I mean? That's yeah, right. but that seems pretty shallow. For, for a family that be, believes so much in the importance of their own family, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but who knows? She's crazy. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Not much to say about this scene, right, guys? I don't, I don't know if there's much to add. Uh, yeah. yeah. I thought there were a couple... I forgot. I thought there were a couple like decent lines in there, but other than that, yeah, I think it was just that. If the point of that scene was to get the wild, to bring the wildfire into play, I guess. Yep. Or that whole what's going to yeah. happen with that? Right. That's the whole thing. Yeah, and to see, see their reaction to this great news that they're receiving, you know, according to. But there doesn't uh, seem to be much of a reaction, which is my problem with the scene. Like, if you're going to do this, yeah. have some yeah. genuine emotion out of either of these characters. No just question. Seems to be very it, you know what? The, the book version that you you mentioned would have been a lot. Better, I think. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Just then they just started bickering. Like he says, like she's like your plots and schemes, and then he's like plots and schemes are the same thing. Like it just turns into like brother, and then she's like taking pride and like I know something that you don't know, and, right. and that basically like the wildfire. Um, so it turns into brother brotherly sisterly bickering. Right, and that's not yeah. as interesting. I feel. Yes, agreed. So next we go to Tyrion, and he's in a litter, talking to Lancel, and Lancel tells him that the secret plan, or that Cersei's secret plan, is wildfire. Tyrion does not believe him, and I'm not entirely sure why he doesn't believe him. And it's like a lot of these things in the show where there's this like thing that everybody knows existed at one time at least, and they don't believe that it exists now for whatever reason. Anyways. Um, the yeah. uh, Tyrion says, that, or Lancel reveals that the pyromancers have been working on this, and um, kind of have the end where end of the scene, which is interesting, where Tyrion doesn't um, tell <laughs> tells Bronn if anything happens to him, kill um, kill Lancel, yeah. which has Lancel repeat, which is pretty funny. Lancel falls out of the litter, which I thought it was odd that they were doing this in the middle of daylight, right. because you would think that Cersei would already know that this is going on. If they're if they're that open about it, but I guess they're cousins at the same time, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, so not much to that scene. Other than Tyrion obviously become becoming aware of the fact that there is wildfire being made. Yeah. What was that, Tim? Yeah. Oh no, yeah, I just don't remember. It was funny. I just don't. Lancel in general, I just don't remember him being so so feckless or whatever. And yeah. Like, yeah, he's just like, completely spineless. Like manipulate him. So easily, like I think that's a because for a certain point there he's like fucking with them a little bit, and then he's like, I can't even do this; it's too it's boring. Even like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The only thing I thought that was nice about this scene too is that we get the Lancel is the first person to tell us about wildfire, and he's the person that ultimately ends up getting killed by the wildfire oh, later yeah. in, this, in season six. So that's kind of like yeah, a nice it, little, um, and it's kind of his fun. own fault too. I mean, he he ends up with these. Uh, crazy fanatics and i mean yeah the 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 fall of lancel and the entire lancel uh storyline is much more interesting in retrospect because i don't even think i even knew who he was when he showed back up as one of these the um one of the chosen people where the hell they were called yeah who cares but yeah yeah I gotcha. yeah all right so, so where do we go next Doug? we go to the camp formerly known as the ren fair R.I.P. And Stannis has landed, and as he's uh, marching through the camp, uh, he chats with Davos about what happened to Renly. Um, 
Stannis doesn't seem to be concerned about uh, Davos's distress about the horror he was bore he bore witness to the previous night with uh, Melisandre giving birth to the Shadow Baby and all. Uh, mainly because of the result, and the result is that all of Renly's bannermen have come over to Stannis, except the Tyrells. Now, this is not discussed in the show, but I just want to point out, that might seem like no big deal, but unlike the rest of the bannermen, the Tyrells are an entire kingdom. Like, they are in yeah. charge of the Reach, and the Tyrells have their own bannermen, so it's an entire kingdom that they lost. So that's a that's a good amount. Uh, I mean, Stannis had a small... I don't even know what his army size was because it was just the few people at Dragonstone. I mean, he didn't have his... Because the Baratheons are in charge of one kingdom, which is the Stormlands. Um, but it seems like Renly had all those troops. So Stannis really didn't have much to begin with, and now he's getting one kingdom's worth of troops. So it doesn't seem like he's still well off. It's just that the, the Lannisters are stretched so thin, um, and now the Tyrells ultimately join with him. But regardless, let's push on. Um you want to? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Stannis, uh, he has to be thrilled. This plan looks like it's working. I mean, imagine if some la- some lady showed up, some foreign lady showed up and said, <laughs> you are going to be the next great king. Here's what's going to happen. And then this shit's actually happening yeah, somehow. And in order to do it, in order for all your dreams to come true, you have to bang me. Yeah. Okay, done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Uh, but sure, he, he does seem very unconcerned about his, the killing his own brother. Yeah, and then the other thing is Davos. Yeah, Davos has this beef, and it sounds like a lot of a lot of Davos's uh, problem with the issue is that she's a foreigner. It sounds very xenophobic. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Tim, what was yeah, that? Yeah, that was kind of her foreigner with her foreign religion, and like, yeah. But at least we need to go ahead. Was there, just with the whole shadow baby, just real quick, is there any more detail given about like how that happened or in the book or anything? Or is, is it just as, you know, just the, the, the fact that that happened, that she can do that? It, well, they don't really talk about it too much besides it, uh, as we discussed, I think, in a previous episode, that it takes something from the person that conceives the shadow baby with her. Like Stannis uh, gives oh, her I two shadow that. babies, and they condense them down to one in the show. Uh, but it but it definitely makes him age. It ages him up, uh, and it makes him really uh, weak. But other than that, we don't really get any explanation. It's just something that she can do. Yeah. And it's really not talked about. You're wondering why she doesn't make more of them. Children. That's the obvious thing. It's like <laughs> anytime you're in a, a bind, just uh, yeah, just shadow baby. You know? Just have another yeah. couple. One, you know, like one for bang me, and then suddenly have a, a, a shadow assassin. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's go back. So that's uh, what foreigners do. Yeah, well, sorry, well, oh, well here come it comes up <laughs> later. So it's it's a little not not as I mean still bad, but it's like it's not these red priests is coming to our country and taking all of our assassin jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's more it's more a political like it's more like reading the Sony executive uh, like emails that got leaked about how like oh you know we can't make that person black because it won't play in China, um, you know kind of like it's a political move. He's saying, and it comes up when um, uh, Davos is trying to convince Stannis not to bring Melisandre with him oh, when yeah. he ultimately attacks King's Landing because he thinks uh, the victory will be hers and not Stannis's alone, um, mm-hmm. and people will see her as a foreign invader almost. And it is playing on. I don't think it's Davos necessarily being uh, xenophobic, which I'm sure he is a little bit because he's you know an average Joe, but uh, it's more. 
him uh, trying to guess the the will of the people and how it'll be perceived in a public yeah, relations like perception, right? But still, it seems paper thin. I think he just doesn't like her. I mean, for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously this this whole scene just it, it exemplifies that Stannis is a clearly uh, a ends justify the means type of guy. Um, yeah, which is a bit out of character for what we know about him. I think. Right. Um, but anyway, so next we go to King's Landing, and Tyrion and Bronn are doing a classic walk and talk. Uh, Tyrion realizes that they they are completely overwhelmed in how Rob is humiliating the Lannisters out in the field, which I don't think I know we, we've know he's he's had Rob has had a couple of these smaller victories, but I don't think that we know that Rob is necessarily humiliating like Tyrion discusses this scene. Yeah, it doesn't uh, it, it doesn't seem like he is even in the books either. It seems like he's winning these small battles and skirmishes because he's not it's not quite guerrilla warfare, but he isn't taking on the Lannisters like in a head to head fight. Exactly, yeah. So they stumble, Tyrion and Bronn stumble upon a preacher who uh, discusses how the uh, the leadership there is rotten due to the incest. It's apparently known about Joffrey's uh, birthday fun, um, or Tyrion and, and, um, Tyrion and uh, Bronn know about Joffrey's birthday fun. Uh, the preacher at the same time makes reference to, to a twisted demon monkey making the decisions. Tyrion somehow doesn't realize him, or at least it's him, or at least feigns that uh, it isn't him. And uh, it, which it was weird. And they decide they need to scamper after that. It was odd that nobody notices that Tyrion is there right. out of these people who are preaching against them because yeah, somebody would have given him a sideways look. You would think. He's, I mean, he's right over there. It's the twisted demon monkey. I mean, everybody in King's Landing has to know. Who Tyrion Lannister is, you would think, but I don't. I guess not. I don't know. I don't, and plus, he stands out in the crowd. I mean, I mean, well, that'd be probably the opposite of that. What do you mean? Of standing out. Well, I mean, he does. I mean, he's not. It's not because he's tall. No, he I, know, out no, because no, he's, I know. I know. Right. All right. <laughs> it's a bad joke. I'm yeah, sorry. it is a terrible joke. But uh, basically, our, the thrust of this is that the uh, populace in King's Landing is getting uh, upset with the ruling party. Uh, and this ties into the ri- the riot that uh, happens, I think, in a couple episodes from now. Oh God! Sure. When uh, Marcella goes to the really didn't really didn't like this. This is one that maybe could have been cut or I yeah. Thought, um, I, I I really I think, think I it's it's planting seeds for another episode, and it's really not funny. It's really not uh, doesn't really propel this plot too much. Yeah, I guess that maybe they wanted the comedy for the maybe they thought the demon monkey thing was just hilarious and they had to get that. I think they they also they just try to fill screen time sometimes and set up things that you know we don't we don't necessarily need this to set up that a riot's coming eventually from the people of King's Landing, but they do it anyway because I mean this is a cheap scene. You know, you just have two people that's, talking that's, and a few background, and the, they we've talked about it a little bit before, but the, the show writers have said. Or especially in the first few seasons, the budget was very limited. They would actually have to go back after the fact and film scenes, and this seems like one of the ones or film scenes that fell at their screen time. This uh-huh. looks like one that could have easily been a, hey, we need three more minutes in this episode. Get, get these guys back and have them talk for a couple minutes, and that's it. Right. Oh, okay, and then we can set something, yeah, set it up for whatever happens in the next couple episodes. Yeah. I mean, it does add to the story, but it just doesn't add enough to necessarily justify its right, existence. to be compelling. And there's yeah. another scene later on in the, the episode that's very similar, where I'm just like, "What? What is happening? Why is this? Yeah. Why is this? Why are we wasting our time here?" 
Uh, but now we go back to uh, the Iron Islands and for Tim's favorite character and Jermaine's, uh, Theon preparing to head out on his lowly breathing mission. Um, uh, his crew ignores and then goes off, you know, basically vacillates between ignoring and disrespecting him. Um, and his sister stops by to also kick him in the nuts and brag about how important her mission is. Um, and, th- and then I just took a moment at that point. And I was like, these are all just fucking terrible people. Like, I don't give a fuck about anybody in the Iron Islands. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's it's like Dorn only, uh, you know, it, it's just like Dorn. Like, I, only they got more no, screen time. No, they're worse, they're, they're worse than Dorn because they live off of reaving and raping. At least Dorn seems like it's it's a productive society. It doesn't just live off the, the spoils of others. I'd agree with that. Uh, but regardless, uh, Theon's first mate cheers him up a little bit. Dagmar, Clefjaw. Uh, he's slightly more friendly to Theon and suggests that the um, since his men will never respect him on a lowly uh, reaving mission, he should uh, maybe attack something more valuable like Torn Square, the home of uh, House Tallheart. And when Theon says, well, yeah, we could do that, but we couldn't hold the castle for very long because Winterfell would send troops. And then he gets a crazy idea uh, <laughs> to attack Winterfell. Um this plan is dumb. Uh, it's a smart plan initially, but the problem is that he doesn't share his plans with anybody else because, I mean, honestly, nobody would listen to him. Like, if he shared his plans with uh, his sister or his dad, it seems like they would just probably take credit for the plan and then cut him out Like because nobody trusts him. So I understand yeah, that, he right? To, he wants to just capture Winterfell and then tell them, or like have that be the, the reveal, like... Like, I already have it done, and then he can show off to them rather than, you know, communicate with them. Yeah, but the fact that he knows he can't hold it, he just, I guess he's still, like, delusionally thinking that, oh, if he does this one great deed, um, people will, not only his men will respect him on on that one boat, but his dad and his sister will, and they'll come to, with reinforcements, and he'll be heralded as the one true uh, heir to the Iron Islands. I don't know. I don't know. I, what I wondered about the scene was whether the disrespect of Theon by his crew members was the culture or Theon or some combination of the of the two. You know I, what I mean? I assumed it was a combination of the two. I don't think they respect yeah. anybody new. Uh, and then they probably also know Theon's backstory. It's a stark contrast to some of these other cultures. But I guess it makes sense within a reaping and raving type culture that uh, what what you take is what you're worth, you know. Right. Um, Tim, anything I did, to say about I your did boy? kind of like uh, I did kind of like Theon's uh, almost Kaiser Soze moment of realizing, oh, we can go do that, and that will work great. Yeah. It, it, it dawning on him was um, it was funny, or at least yeah. interesting. It was amusing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like his look of satisfaction on his face, like. Well, it's not, I mean, it's, sure, it's a fine plan, but it's not that great that you're like, oh, like so intricate. It's basically like, go over here, and then they'll go over there, and then while they're over there, you can go attack that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the guy had like walk up through it. At the same yeah. time, any yeah. one of his members <laughs> could throw him over the boat at any second, because they yeah. don't respect them whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, when that one captain, or not that captain, that one big bald guy came up to him saying, you know, I don't think we have any need for him. I, I would have thought Theon would just slit his throat right there. I mean, that's what I would have did, done because it seems like that's the only way you can get these horrible people in this horrible fucking culture to respect you is to do something equally horrible. Um, yeah. And I think he does kill somebody. Like in the books, he, they actually 
reeve along the stony shore at at one point and he casually kills a couple people that are um stealing or raping too much i don't know or not being obedient so uh i don't know i want him to be a better person than he is but this is definitely theon's downfall so we get to see all this he's he's built up a lot of at least a little bit of goodwill in our minds by what he's done in later seasons but uh yeah, right now he's just a terrible child. Yeah, product of reapers and ravers. Yep. Okay, so now we next we go to the uh, husk of Harrenhal, and Ari's prepping food, and apparently Tywin is meeting with his war council. He has apparently realized the strength of the Stark forces, and that Rob isn't just someone who can be dismissed. Which I think prior to this, we got, or at least we thought that he thought that he was such a good battle leader that. Uh, he just dismissed Rob's strength. Uh, I know I did a good job of saying that. Uh, so uh, <laughs> his Reginald Lannister um. sasses off. He wants a break. And this is the reason that the Fair Labor Standards Act was uh, invented. <laughs> so uh, Tywin sends him away and uh, threatens that if he wasn't a Lannister, he would have been killed. Which I don't know. What the hell are they doing for all this time? I don't I don't know that I necessarily understand. Like, uh, we attack from the east. We attack from the west. I mean, what the hell else are they going to discuss for days yeah. long? That's what I was thinking. Then because there's when Arya comes to pour, like she pours wine. And he's like, "No water. We're gonna be here for a while." I'm like, "You're gonna be there even longer." <laughs> yeah. What do you yeah. Guess? What's what's gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, because they always have these big maps, and they're like at these chess pieces, and you're like, "Well, they can do like three things as the maximum <laughs> different moves that they have available." So uh, after right. Tywin says no wine for his uh, his war council, begins questioning Arya. She initially lies about her origin. He is able to catch it. Um, and I don't understand why exactly she lies or why he allows her to get away with it. But eventually she says that, um, or he asks what the, where she's from. I think she says she's from Maidenpool in the second instance. No, the first instance. second pool is Barrowton, if you knew anything from anything. All right, all right. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, Ooh. there you go. <laughs> he asks what people from Barrowton think about Rob Stark, and she throws out uh, enough hyperbole. I think kind of throws him off the the uh, scent of her maybe being related to Rob. I don't know they had sent in the first place, um, but then he sends her to get water, where of course she sees Jaquen. So let's take a quick break and see what anybody has to say about this scene. Tim, um, I thought it was a good scene. I thought, man, I love that guy, uh, that actor, Charles Dance. Yeah, he's a great man. Um, and I thought that they both played it pretty well. She had a good line, um, right? You know, um, she's like, they say he can't be killed after she goes through all that other high, hyperbolic kind of stuff. And then he's like, oh, do you believe that? And she's like, yeah, it's like very matter-of-factly, uh, like, no, uh, anybody can be killed. And then he looks at her kind of like with a little bit more. Uh, yeah, she's, she's hard. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, fetch that one. So it was a good, I think it was a good, I don't know, yeah, I thought they del- at least delivered their lines well. Absolutely. So this is my, uh, this is the, the best praise I'm going to give this show. This entire scene and situation is show invention, but it is clearly huh? the best show invention that these guys have come up with. It's incredible. Yeah, because Tywin is at uh, Hall for a little bit, and then he skedaddles. Uh, Arya is the cupbearer for Roose Bolton, who takes over at, at Harrenhal. Um, and their interactions are not nearly as pleasant or like chumly, but this is so, this is great because it's like a grandpa Tywin Lannister scene. Like he's like taking her under his wing and he's kind of like proud of her slash like intrigued by her. 
they almost see themselves as like equals and they they form a bond and it's just so rewarding it's one of these situations where the show does it all the time it gets these characters that don't interact in the books and it gets them to interact uh, and this is the best possible way they've ever done it um so i gotta give them kudos yeah and there's later see in later episodes there's even better scenes between them so yep. going forward uh Arya goes to fetch the water, and uh, she sees Jockin kind of hides, uh, so she he doesn't see her. And Jockin kind of sidles up in a real pervy manner. Uh, Looks like a real fucking John Molester. Um, so he apparently has sided, or at least is siding with the Lannisters currently, and they have a bunch of conversations about keeping secrets, and he says that he knew that she was a girl, and uh, she's upset that he is a he is working for the Lannisters now, and he asks her why it's any different than her being uh, Tywin Lannister's cupbearer. And so they had this conversation. It takes Arya a few minutes to catch on, but he says that he will kill three people because apparently she saved the three people in the mobile jail. And this is where we first get the, the, or the, we hear about the, what the hell is the name of their God? The, uh, uh the many face God or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. So we get the first idea of that. She decides that she wants the tickler killed, which makes so little sense to me because why doesn't she say Taiwan, Joff, <laughs> Cersei, done and done? Seems right. like a colossal mistake. Um, but yeah, this was interesting to, to begin to see their relationship develop. Yep. Um, I will say that um, it, she does fuck up even in the books. Like after like like Tywin leaves she's like I should have fucking said Tywin like she has like these two uh she names these two people and then immediately regrets naming such lowly people when she could have named anybody she wants but I just want to point out that I am more convinced now than ever after watching the scene that this is all bullshit I feel like the many faced guys are just trying to uh get Ari to be one of them or use the use her because think about this this is definitely the genie with three witches mo- or three wishes motif and it's so much that motif that her third wish is for more wishes. It really is. It fucking yeah. it fucking is. So the fact that this is the three wishes motif makes me think like this is just a fairy tale. We never hear about this paying debts thing ever again from any of the other faceless men. It doesn't come up in her training. It seems like just something made up to get Arya on his side and to get her comfortable with taking people's lives. At least that's my yeah. interpretation. I think I'm... When I first watched it, in a, I think I had to show that he is capable of doing it, like when he does the first one, you know, to show that he can kill, I, I don't know if it's anybody that he wants at any time or whatever, but that he has, that he is like a force <coughs> to be fucking with in that, in that regard, I guess. Like, I don't know, it proves that he's a skillful, however he kills him, you know, he's like um, a force to be reckoned with in, in some For sense. certain, yeah. He's he's definitely legit. We Nobody questions that, and he establishes yeah. that by making this guy die, and then hanging around and gloating about it. Uh, but we'll get yeah. to that at the Is end. Even apple? Was it that guy? No, he's eating an apple. There's no way he would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did fall out of a window where that guy is eating the apple <laughs> right now, but no way, no way. That guy, that the That's new guy okay. that just signed up like a month ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's cool. It wasn't even a month ago. It was like a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, um, it's his first day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cut the guy some slack. <laughs> okay, so we uh, we whirlwind up to the fist of the first men, 
and John and Gior are uh, basically having a little conversation that's doing nothing but hyping up this new character, Corin Halfhand. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's all this. That's all this conversation is is hyping up. Oh, you know, this guy survived out here in the wilderness for a whole winter uh, before the snows fell. He got trapped out here. Um, so basically, just saying, you know, oh, I didn't know it was possible for anybody to do it. No, not anybody. Just Corin. And they're like, okay, this guy's a badass. Whatever. So they decide to hold up in this like ridiculous rock formation that uh, in the in the books and here is supposed to be a old fort of the first men, but now it's just like a an elevated rock. Um, doesn't seem like a great place yeah. to hold up. There's no defenses from the elements at all. Um, in the book, was there more like was there more of a structure there, or was it just like a, basically an open field? Was- it was no, it was not open field. And this is my this is one of my Doug rants. Here we go, get ready. Uh, but I hate this scene, and I hate all the scenes north of the wall in this season because they happen like in in this in like this white waste. There's no trees there. There's nothing but like snow and mountains. And you know what the wildlings worship north of the wall? trees fucking trees and there's not a tree to be found (laughs) like it's just visually striking i get it i get it you want to you know have a beautiful tv show but yeah in they they choose the fist of the fourth the first men in the book because it's an elevated uh rock formation that can see for miles in every direction above the trees and there is a little bit more structure there like there's a hollowed out structure and they can shield themselves from the wind and shit um yeah but we don't get any of that all we get is uh, Corrin's approach, and we get the explanation of the horn blast. One blast is for rangers returning. Two blasts is for wildlings, and uh, Sam gives us the history lesson that three blasts are for white walkers telegraphing the <laughs> impending white walker arrival. I thought I thought they could have done that a lot more ominously. Yep. Uh, the, the the three things. Then the other thing is this: this scene just continued this thing of Sam. Uh, being desperate about a gilly and the gilly talk is just oh, so yeah. goddamn annoying. <laughs> oh, you know what would like it out here? Gilly. It's just awful. Yeah, it was so not well done at all. <laughs> no, it's over the top. Yeah, it's over the top. It's just like crammed in there. We have to have Sam say something. We're going to make him say something that reinforces his relationship with Gilly. And to explain this irrational relationship between the two. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Right. So next we go to Tyrion, and he is in King's Landing, and he is discussing, talking to the Pyromancer. As we discussed earlier, this is a thing where they just insert a whole new element into the show that we have no previous knowledge of. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so they, the Tyrion and the Pyromancer are discussing the strength of the wildfire. And I would like to point out that they actually have a person in the city who is the designated Pyromancer. <laughs> uh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty so, good job, Pyro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that'll that'll show good yeah. on the resume. <laughs> yeah, well, he shows up at a bar Friday. What do you do? Well, I'm the fucking pyromancer. Yeah. Let me burn that. Never mind. Um, so uh, he, the pyromancer, discusses how the Targaryens used it after their dragons died off to maintain their power. We've gotten a little bit of that uh, from the kind of discussions of the Mad King. Uh, Bronn brings up how the the lack of trained soldiers in the capital. Least a high risk of of the things breaking bad, where the you know the wildfire will be fall off of the catapults and will burn everything. And, and as the um, as the pyromancer explained that the wildfire can melt everything, steel, uh, wood, etc. So Tyrion asks how much they have, and they enter a storage room, and it turns out they have a fuck ton 
of wildfire, and I think that's the actual measurement that they have of it. Um, so Tyrion says that uh, the pyromancer will no longer be working for Cersei. Instead, he'll be working for Tyrion, which I'm not entirely sure. We'll, we'll get into this. Uh, but why, why, why? how does Cersei react to Tyrion just telling the pyromancer, hey, now you work for me, buddy? Like, I don't understand how that, that power dynamic. Does anybody else get get that? No. No, I think it was just like a good line for the show, you know, that he said that it doesn't make any sense. It would be might make more sense for him maybe to, you know, keep working for her, but you know, the same thing he did with Lancel. Lancel, like yeah. Just oh, yeah. Cultivate him as a, as a as one of his, you know, just let me know what's going on. Or I'll have my stuff. friend Bronn here you kill you. Blow your cover with Cersei, yeah. Yeah. And the the uh, the 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 somebody does make the line uh, the contents of this room could lay King's Landing low, which is a very foreboding line, um, and it's very interesting. And that's uh, that's great that they have this line in season two that doesn't pay off until late in season six. That <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, one thing I did want to point out is the alchemist the same old guy from the Neverending Story movie, the one that's oh, like talking about the Sphinx. He's just like, this Sphinx can stare into your soul. Nobody? <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in as say. an audio drop later. Okay. Because I, I, I I'm convinced it's him. I could just IMDB it, but... Um, oh, that sounds like a lot of trouble. It sounds like a lot of work. I like that. Whoever that guy was, I thought he had like good like comedic timing and the pyromancer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, it was, it was a... The kind of like funny scene. All right. Well, I'm, I'll IMDb it on another, uh, you know, go maybe when Brian's talking or summarizing a scene. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's much to this to that scene besides, yeah, setting up the wildfire, which pays off with the Battle of the Blackwater at the end with uh, how they use it against Stannis. Um, and pays off even more for the destruction of King's Landing. No, nah, they didn't destroy King's Landing, though. They just destroyed the fucking Sept of Baelor. Well, okay. Spoiler warning. Oh yeah, spoiler warning, guys. We might spoil things that happen later in the show. Um, This is your one and only spoil warning. How about a semantics warning? (laughs) Not at all. All right, where do we go? Okay, so next uh, we go to Karth, and oh boy, get ready. Um, Danny's storyline is fucking awful. Let me just say that before we even go on to summarize this. This is this is terrible. They don't know what they're doing with her. They just kind of fucking filling screen time with her but this is what happens so danny is teaching her dragon puppies how to breathe fire and her two handmaidens that come from different cultural backgrounds are just bickering uh back and forth and giving her um different advice uh i don't know what the scene does besides tell us how rich duck souse is um <laughs> so let's just take a break there before we move on I, it, this seemed like another screen fill scene like they just needed to eat up another four or five minutes Zero point to it. The zero. I mean, zero point. Well, I, I, I don't know why we care that these two people from different cultures are arguing. There's, there's nothing. No payoff. Tim, would you agree, or do you think there's? <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have any hot take on this. That's contrary. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. I was trying to think of. <laughs> 
All right, so uh, then later uh, we go to the big party, and Danny is trying to be cordial when uh, her scumbag friends at the party are trying to steal stuff. <laughs> this has happened to all of us in real life, I got to tell you. You, 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 you meet somebody, you're like, hey, we're going to this party, and they come along, and then they start to be just real jackasses. So this they is take relatable. a painting off the wall and just put their head through it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I put a lampshade on their head. And yeah, yeah. And actually, I think you know, uh, it's <laughs> keeping with the theme of calling different uh, groups of people throughout the show uh, trash. I think we just refer to these people as desert trash. <laughs> that's, that's that's a little bit too hot button. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna stay away from that one. <laughs> Sorry, my friends in Afghanistan. Let's call it, let's, call it ho- let's call them horse trash. Horse trash. There you go. That's there you go. Better. That seems a little better. All right, but um, this hilarious scene continues as Danny tries to explain to the Dothrakis uh, what manners are uh, and just being decent. Um, but uh, we get to meet Pyat Pri, which is a creepy-looking dude, and he's the head of the Warlocks Guild, and he performs a magic trick uh, where he appears to be in two places at the same time. Now, I, I do want to do a segue real quick. I think this magic trick is just bullshit. It was like, like, what's the cheapest film trick that we can do? And we'll just uh, shoehorn it into the show. So, actually, I wanted to ask you the, uh, uh, several things about the warlocks. Uh, so, are there are the are there multiple Priat Pre's? Uh, I don't think so. That's never is, made so. Clear. Is this an illusion? That I, I mean, think so. Okay. And so, how does he create the illusion? <laughs> you might as well ask out where do shadow babies come from? Okay, shadow storms. I, yeah. I didn't know if there was a good actual explanation <laughs> from the book. You know, I, I don't know. No, no, and uh, this this doesn't happen. This is all show invention. Um, uh, basically, the the deal with the warlocks in this place is just like everywhere else. Magic hasn't been around for years, but the institutes that or institutions that uh, they formed back when magic was around still survive. If that makes sense. So, um, yeah. So the the warlock, just like the pyromancers, the alchemist guild or whatever the fuck they want to call themselves, they used to be uh, you know big shit, but then they couldn't do their magic anymore, and now somehow it's coming back because of the dragons, because of the comet, who knows? Um, so they're they were like a dying kind of like you know a dying breed, not really doing anything, and now uh, they're coming back into their own. Um, so that's the deal with them. So. Okay, so then the purple lips, they said blame it on the shade of the evening. Is right. that just purple drink? That is purple drink. <laughs> Actually, can you explain what what it is? What what that is? Well, a shade of the evening is uh is an hallucinogen which gets people to see visions. And it's okay. basically like a Ken Kesey thing where they just do acid all the time uh to see these visions. Uh, and that's their deal. Like they perform magic and try to see the future, and this will come into more play uh with the House of the Undying. Which in the book she goes to voluntarily, but before she enters, she has to drink some of this hallucinogenic dream wine or whatever it is. Some of that purple, purple drink. But, uh. Uh, but yeah, it's really it's it. We, so we have Duck Sauce explaining all this about the warlocks and how they drink stuff and how he he thinks they're absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know. Uh, but then uh, next thing we see is Jorah having a conversation with some fucking. <laughs> ridiculous looking woman uh who's quaith who's who's this fucking creep in the mask all right so in the book she's somebody that appears to danny we don't she just appears to danny and appears to be on her side but we don't know and she appears several times in the in the story at least a couple times uh but in the show this is the one and only time she shows up and i think i mean she might show up later in the season but they don't they don't go back to her 
but she seems to be protective of Danny, and basically all she's doing here is warning Jorah to look out for her because everyone's going to want her dragons because her dragons are fire and power or fire, mm-hmm. whatever. But she looks stupid, right? Am I am I right? I don't think she looks stupid. I just think the concept is stupid. It, it, uh, I thought it looked interesting, but I just didn't. This is a thing where I don't. I didn't. I didn't think they actually tied it in, into any element of the show. It just kind of was thrown in there. Hey, this looks weird, and then there's no purpose to it. More I or think less. they were going to pursue it, but they just decided not to for whatever reason. That's yeah, entirely possible. That's what I was trying to when I was watching. I was like, "Does she come back, or who does that person turn out to be?" Or but. Right. Doesn't pay off. Yeah, in the books, there's all sorts of talk of who she might be, like somebody from the distant okay. past that can live a long time, like um, Blood Raven, who's actually a, a Targaryen that's over 120 years old. But that that's not even broached in the show either. But essentially, yeah. um, her deal is she's from a shy where everything is basically toxic. It's a toxic wasteland where um, people wear masks to breathe better uh, because they can't breathe the air. Uh, oh, okay. But she's, you know, she's some kind of magician. She's from a shy, uh, and she communicates with Danny using telepathy or possibly a glass candle. We're not going to get into all that shit because uh, yeah. we just don't have the time, and I, it's not, I'm not that well versed in it. So that's a terrible transition or so translation. Let's throw it back to yeah. No, it is a terrible translation. It seems like, uh, like I said, they don't know what the fuck they're doing with Danny's storyline in this 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 uh, season at all. Yeah, nothing's compelling. Yeah. That's clear. So next we go to Cat and Brienne, and they are on the lamb. Uh, they discuss the, ass- the assassin, and uh, one of them says that he, the shadow assassin looked like Stannis. Um, I don't know if I got that when I saw Yeah, him, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, they could have done a better job with that. So they discuss their plans. Cat is going to go talk to Ra, then head back to Winterfell. They kind of discuss their mothers and how they both lost their mothers on the birthing table. Brienne wants to leave, and it seems like early in the scene she's asking like for permission to leave, but she's not pledged to Kat, so I don't really understand what that I, is all about. I didn't understand that either. Why? Yeah. She, she's like, will you grant me leave? And like, I thought you guys were just basically making this up as you go and just running away. Like, There's no obligation to one another. Yeah, exactly. So Brienne says that she wants to go kill Stannis. Uh, Kat tells Brienne she needs to get over it because you can't uh, avenge anyone if you're in the dirt. And then uh, they uh, they they just uh, Kat brings up how they share the same enemies, and then Brienne just kind of does these over dramatic pledge just to Kat that she's kind of done throughout the series. It's 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 actually really sad because Brienne seems like she doesn't have any of her own agency outside of just serving someone else. But I, I mean, I understand that's part of the feudal structure, but uh, you know, somebody as powerful and as great as a warrior that she is, you would think that she'd be able to kind of go and do what she wants. She's certainly more well-equipped than like say a hedge knight or, you know, but she just wants to like work for someone else. Anyway. So uh, as part of the pledge, she makes cat pledge that, uh, that she will not hold Brienne back from, Killing Stannis when it's time. I guess that's an illusion to later when she does kill Stannis. Not really. It's more Stannis. of a story. It's more of an illusion to the book where she's Lady Stoneheart, and instead of hanging Brienne, which she's in the act of doing, she releases her because she did promise to let her get uh, vengeance on Stannis, uh, who's still alive. Yeah. But in the show, it's just kind of forgotten. Another element where they just bring it in, uh, and they just it just falls apart. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's about the end of the scene. Not yeah. much else to But as a most I'm struck by that the also the that Brienne just runs around like seems to run around like just fudging to two different people like Please validate me. Please validate yeah. me. Yeah. Does she do the same with Santa later? Isn't there another scene like yep. in season five or six? It sure yeah, is. Yeah, because she, she sees Santa she's with Littlefinger. Yeah. She sees Littlefinger in a, Sansa and Littlefinger in a pub and then tries to pledge her allegiance to Sansa and Sansa rejects her and then she just keeps following her and, and that's uh, when they meet outside the castle outside of uh, Winterfell. Yeah. 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 I feel like there's an alternate universe Saturday Night Live skip that could go on <laughs> running around like Don, Don Quixote kind of like <laughs> just pledging just constantly pledging fealty to different people. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this, this this definitely happens in the books, but I think there's a little bit more back and forth between Brienne and Catelyn, and you know, it's a long road back to Winterfell from wherever the fuck they left um, in the south, but they, you know, it's condensed here in the show. Sure. Not much to say. Alright, so then we go down to, or up to uh, Winterfell, and Bran continues to hear petitions as the interim lord of Winterfell. It's um, like a fucking nine-year-old. It's <laughs> fucking nine-year-old, and his fucking little brother, um... What's his name? Yeah, Rick, and he was being super annoying. Right. Well, he's angry, and he's just acting out like a crazy little kid because his fucking yeah. mother is around. She's a terrible person. Go put him in this playpen. Yeah. But, well, he doesn't need to be there. Like you know, yeah. throw, go throw rocks outside, or go kill this kitten. I don't care. Get out of. Get him out of here. What? <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Bran hears one petition and agrees to give two orphan boys to a uh, farmer to be molested when uh, R- Sir Roderick just barges in uh, on the proceedings to inform everybody that Torn Square is under attack. Uh, enemy unknown. Um, so uh, a lot of, they, they gather up everybody and Maester Lewin thinks that maybe it would be a good idea to reserve some troops to be held back at Winterfell, but no. He yields to the wisdom of the fucking eight-year-old who is Bran. And Bran says, send all the men there. Take, you know, we, ha- we have to have respect. We have to protect our, um, our people. So basically falling headfirst into uh, the trap. Yeah, kind of. Th- at first, I thought that Bran was uh, kind of wise about that, but then I realized, oh wait a second, this is what leads to Winterfall <laughs> going down. Yeah, and I wondered if, if is that the farmer that eventually uh, that uh, Theon goes and kills the two farmer boys? Uh, it, it, no idea. Okay, uh, you, you know what I'm referring to that word. Yep. Yeah, he kills two it. farmer boys. Apostles. Those are yeah. I don't know. All right, if there's nothing else, we'll move on later. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, there's not much going on here, guys. Yeah, it's just yeah. these, the, you know, the plan is coming to fruition that um, Theon had set up. So uh, later, uh, Asha is walking with Bran and Hodor, and they're talking about the visions of the Three-Eyed Raven. Asha has obviously heard of the Three-Eyed Raven, but is not saying, telling Bran anything about him. Um, but Bran also has a vision of Winterfell being flooded by the sea, and a lot of people drowning. This is obvious foreshadowing for uh, Theon coming. Uh, in the books, this is given to us by Jojen, um, who has this premonition of Winterfell. Okay, yeah. I thought that sea thing was a little heavy-handed. But yeah. That was really the only- <laughs> Especially following the previous scene with, send all the guys, we don't need to hold yeah. anybody here. <laughs> Nothing to say. Yeah, nothing it's to still, just continue this. Uh, I, uh, I do think it's interesting that Osho knows like so much more, and like there actually might be some legitimacy to his dreams, and nobody else kind of recognizes it. 
And I think that that dynamic is kind of interesting, especially considering that she was just this. Uh, she's a captive right now, you know. Um, so that's all. Yeah, I think they should have developed that a little better. Their friendship. I guess they are developing it. It just seems like it'd be. Uh, it'd be nice if they were more chummy friends talking about these dreams, and maybe if she was a little bit more open to him uh, as well, instead of him yeah. just being telling her everything. Yeah, exactly. So next we go back to Karth and Zaro, Zaro Tuna Fish or whatever his name is, and Danny are talking. Uh, Zaro apparently knows that Jorah wants to hit it. Danny still hasn't figured it out. Uh, they discuss each other's goals, and Danny's goal is, of course, to take back the throne. Uh, they discuss their ambition and how they're both conquerors, and they go to look at Zaro's vault. And he describes how it is impenetrable except for the key that he has made. He allowed locksmiths, etc., to try to infiltrate it. Yeah. What's that? It's the best vault ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to yeah. have the best vault. It'll be the best <laughs> vault ever. And I'm going to make those other people pay for it. So then he offers uh, what he has inside the vault to marry her, uh, which she uh, appears to be interested in. So, this is a, this is this is very interesting in retrospect. This guy's a, such a fucking liar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though um, there's nothing I mean, in the vault, right? Yeah, because imagine if he they got married, and then they're married, and then he she says, "Okay, let's see what's in the vault, buddy." And there's nothing in the goddamn vault. I mean, yeah, it's like kind of wearing it's kind of like wearing a cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can't all. Hit. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, but but out of this, we get that um, uh, Duck Souse uh, is ultra aware that Jorah's in love with Danny, which I think Danny hasn't admitted to herself. Yeah. Is that the first time that comes up in the show? Like that kind of. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Viserys in the previous uh, season said something to Jorah. He's just like, I see the okay. way you look at my sister. I'll, you can have her. Um, yes, so that was yes. the first time okay. I think it was acknowledged. And we also find out Danny has the hears for the first time that King Robert is dead. So it took a while for her to get the news. Yeah. So next we transition into uh, Jorah and Danny discussing the plan and the offer from Duck Sauce. Uh, Danny wants to jump on it, but Jorah preaches caution. He thinks that um, if she goes along with these plans, they will just own her. And of course, as we know in the future, he's absolutely correct. If that she went through with it, I mean, Zoro. Ducks also, his plan was to own her, more or less. Danny presses Jorah on why he is backing her so much. Her claim, he blames it on that, or he at least attributes it, attributes it to that she has a good claim and she has a good cart, and that he can't believe that someone like her is real. And there was a really like odd her reaction. Yeah, that line. Yeah. Yeah, she kind of like her. She was almost like startled that he said her, that to her. Like, oh, just got awkward. Like, yeah, I, I think I, she I, was I, trying I to go. That was a little creepy. Like, he's like, I can't believe you're. Yeah, it had kind of like, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> and she definitely her reaction was definitely very, like, all right. Uh, so what? What else is new? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think based on Duck Sauce's uh, observation, I think she was trying to goad Jorah into confessing yeah. his love or basically showing his hand, and he doesn't do it. And I don't know if she's like upset or let like jealous that he doesn't do it it doesn't really i i didn't get a clear message of what this was supposed to it, it was like she saw a ghost or something it, it was really like her reaction was very very odd I, I don't know so he advises her to make her own way 
he says, let's get one ship, discusses how there's all these backers in Westeros, which I don't who the fuck are these backers supposed to be? I don't I don't know that we know of anybody who's clamoring for her or the Targaryen return at all. Uh, maybe the maybe the Dornish, that's about it. I can imagine. I don't Yeah, I don't think I don't think there was anything specific. I think no. I think his point was just that you need if you have supporters you need them to be from Westeros, not from the outside. More like xenophobia. Not, like yeah. you're gonna have backers. We may not have specific ones yet, but if you do get them, you should get them from inside, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe if she showed up in Westeros with the, the name Targaryen and then it had these dragons, and the by dragons, the time they got yeah. over there, the dragons would be substantially larger. Hey, they're, they're, there's there are a lot of divisiveness between the different kingdoms over there. We'll be able to pick up some kingdoms, but still, I mean, there are not Targaryen soldiers right now. You know, there's her and a couple of these uh, these dirty uh, horse trash, and that's about it on her side. Right. Yeah, Plus, that's why, like, even in that, she's like, we need to get an army, and we need to do this, and then we need to go over there and just they're like, well, th- those are pretty big things you're talking about. Like, yeah, <laughs> not like you just do that tomorrow. Like, pick up an army from the from the grocery store, and then and then head over to Westeros or whatever. Plus, it's been 18 years since the Targaryens were in power, so like maybe if you did this three years into it, you know, I'm sure there's people, you know, like the South will rise again type people. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> they'll do it for fucking. Sadly, do it for generations uh, later. But uh, dragons are going to make Westeros great again. Yes, correct. But uh, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think George just making that up just to, um, just to get her to whatever go along with his get, plan. Yeah, not go to not bury Zaro. Yeah, because he's just jealous. I think, yeah. Yep. I think that's yeah. So but I also think it's. I mean, it's it's pretty good advice. Like he's not. Like right, that, no, yeah, exactly, and that's what's nice about it. It's not, it's not completely transparently, um, you know, just just uh, speaking in his own best interest. It is good just, advice. Just him trying to get it in. Right, it's not all. Well, yeah. he wants to do that. It's just more. <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's backtrack a bit because I think we skipped a scene. Um, we go back to the fist of the force, uh, first men, fist of the force men, uh, fist of the first men. Um, and this sounds like a name of a gay porno to me. I don't know. But uh, Corrin uh, sees a distant flame, and he wants to go kill the lookouts. Um, oh, shit. We did, we did miss a scene. I apologize for doing fine. this. Whatever. We're going on. So uh, yeah. Corrin sees uh, flames, and he thinks they're lookouts, and he wants to go kill them. And also basically speaks about the menace that is Mance Raider, the former Night's Watch guy who is now Kings Beyond the Wall, uh, who has gathered all the wildlings to his side and is basically an unstoppable force. Um, and you know, he says in order for them not to march on us, we have to go take out those lookouts. Um, so he assembles a small crew and for some reason, John wants to go on this murder field trip, uh, perhaps to prove himself, um, after getting manhandled by Craster, I guess, I don't know. And for some reason, the Lord commander agrees to this crazy plan. Um, after Samuel Tarley says that he can do, uh, John's duties. Uh, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, none of this. I that, that really struck me. It's like just the entitlement of John to even be like, I want to go. Then like thinking like you and any like kind of if there's any kind of structure or organization to like there to the night like um, I forget who uh, Lord Mormont would be like. No, shut the fuck up. Like <laughs> you're a steward. Why would why would you think you could go on just just volunteer yourself for this mission? But it's yeah. a television show, so I guess they they're like yeah, gotta get him out there. 
Brian, it's, I thought maybe there's, a, there's probably a better way they could have gotten him on the mission, right? Rather than him being like, "I want to go." Yeah, they could have come up with a way like, "Oh, I I know uh, Wildling or something like that," or like, "I know this," or um, or even just, "Yeah, we need one more man," and then he volunteers or something. Not to, but yeah, right. like I want to go. Right, and uh, it didn't uh, come off this uh, way in the book, but once again, uh, my book knowledge is uh, woefully. Um, uh, old and not uh, not sufficient to tell you why it didn't come off this this uh, obvious in the book, but yeah, it just seems crazy that he's going on this trip and Lord Commander is fine with it. I don't I don't understand it either. Yeah, you're, it's you're one of those things. He's got to get on the trip, so just get him on the trip. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it could have been done better. Yeah. Absolutely. A better scene. All right, so we had a couple of fields going. My ankle hurts. Well, (laughs) we need one more. Yeah, one more guy. No, it it should have been like something John's specifically good at. Like, we need somebody who's good with a sword, close combat, and then like John's good with a sword. Like, I I don't know. Oceans Ten sounds really stupid. We need to make it Oceans Eleven. Yeah, something like that. Like, we need we need exactly five. I don't know. Uh, it could have yeah. been better for sure. <laughs> the the wildlings have never been killed with less than seven people. <laughs> yeah. We'll have six. The, all of these ridiculous uh, scenarios would have been better than what yeah. happened. So uh, we end the scene or the uh, episode as a whole down in Heron Hall, and Gendry is forging weapons for the Lannisters, just like you know, just like a yep. traitorous piece of yoked shit. Yoked up, bro. Yeah, yoked up. We get to see a six pack, and Arya is hanging around, just being an annoying little brat. Um, giving them pointers about how to fight. When all of a sudden there's a scream uh, and the body of the tickler is discovered to have fallen from a modest height, maybe two two stories yeah. up, I guess. <laughs> Very modest height. Like, there's and, no way you survived that fall. <laughs> he should have been able to touch and roll. And it, did it look like his head was uh, 180 degrees backwards, like exorcist style? I don't look that closely. No, I couldn't tell because I guess I couldn't tell the uh, front of his uh, his outfit from the back. But it's definitely his neck was broken. Yeah, it was a weird shot. That like, um, yeah, trying to I guess when they showed his, yeah, trying to find out just how badly his neck was broken. I guess right, but sure. it, it seemed like it was a they were trying to go to that it was a, a staged accident. Like you know, you know, like you know, he snapped his neck, threw him off the the uh, balcony or the. The the whatever the right and made made to look like an accident. But once again, it it looked like it was like I don't know, thirteen feet up in the air. It couldn't have been that high. And yeah, uh, yeah we get Jake and who's in <laughs> standing right where the guy probably could have fallen, eating an apple, uh, and gives her this weird like one finger salute to his eye. Um, oh yeah, granting the first of her three wishes, and the little psychopath uh, Arya seems delighted that she has this power over life and death. Yeah, she's finally found her calling. I mean, when you first found your vacation, Doug, you're probably happy. <laughs> Masturbating on webcams? Yeah, exactly. What does she do? Does she... This is in future episodes, I guess, but... Does she name two other people? Yeah, I... Uh, I can't remember. I don't remember who her second kill is. She definitely kills Wheeze in the books, and that person isn't even in the show. Uh, here she's killed the Tickler... I, I really don't know who the other, second person is, but the third person is Jaken, who, uh, once again, she just does that as a ploy to get more death wishes. Oh, right. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah, in the book, she gets um, Jaken, Biter, and Roars, the two other guys that were in the mobile jail with Jaken, to uh, 
kill a whole bunch of dude in, dudes and free these uh, captive soldiers that are at Harrenhal that are uh, on the side of the north and uh, Roose Bolton's men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who are those other two guys that was with them? Are they in the book? They're a little. They're kind of just like him. Uh, no, they're really they're fucking again. weirdos. Like it, there's it's they're like psychopaths. They're really like terrible people that um, you know threatened to rape Arya and uh, oh, one guy has his his teeth filed yeah. and teeth filed down to like needle points and he ends up biting Brienne's face off or like a big chunk of her face off in uh, book <laughs> four or five. So these oh, guys wow. are these guys are uh, you know formidable, but but they're not around. It just seems to be Jake and who they hung on to in the show at least. I guess yeah, again because they had to you know condense things for for, for the show. Right. Can't have. Yeah, there's so much shit that goes on in the books. That's what's interesting. If you read the books and watch the show, you see like the big things in the books in the show, and you have the comparison. But also like a lot of the little things in the books. Are very interesting, or some of the side plots. I'm sure you've heard of Lady Stoneheart, where Catlin comes oh. back from the dead and just murdering shit left and right. It's really fun. Yeah. Not to go on a tangent, but were you, were you disappointed that she didn't show up in the in the I, show? I was, but I can understand why they didn't do it. Like it, it, it almost seems like another like too much magic. Um, I guess, and oh. uh. uh might have cost maybe could have been cost to show to yeah to be makeup or all that stuff I guess. I guess but if the walking dead can do it i don't see why they can't do hey, it. slap a zombie mask on her and yeah. let her go to town yeah all right uh yeah but, I, I was disappointed yeah 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 all right so let's wrap up this episode at least so um i'm gonna give it a uh two out of five stars here uh i think it was Average, but uh, after recapping it, I think it was uh, more disappointing than um, than average. I think it was a little bit uh, south of middling. Uh, so 2.0 out of 5 stars. Um, Ryan, what do you think? Am I on a soup scale right now? Sure. I think I'm on soup you you scale. transitioned to scoop, soup last uh, yeah, week, I think. Yeah, I that last week. Yeah. <laughs> <Whew>. Boy. <laughs> You know, because I already gave the slightly disappointing soup, and I'm not sure if I have another, like, slightly disappointing soup in the chamber. You know what I mean? Like minestrone? It's, like, not that great or anything. Minestrone is just garbage. Hey, how about this? Let me go with the pizza scale this week. Okay. And uh, I'm going to say that it's a Totino's pizza. That's pretty awful, but it'll do in a pinch, I guess. Well, you remember it being awesome when you were in college. Oh, yeah, and as a small child, too. Um, a couple months ago, it was one of the fucking worst things I've ever read in my life. Uh, but I, at least I get excited about it. So it's not a perfect translation, but it'll do. Okay, uh, Tim, do you have a? Uh, do you want to give a uh, rating of this episode compared to other Game of Thrones episodes? Um, yeah, I guess I'll stick with the star with the day or with um, Doug. Um, <laughs> I'd say a little bit better, two point five. 2.5. That's pretty good. It's not bad. Yeah, a little bit more, maybe. Than not either. bad, not not good. Uh, uh, yeah, again, going into the... It's fine, you know. It's, not, <laughs> it's fine. Nothing was too... Yeah. <laughs> it's entertaining, was, but it never made you say, wow. I wish That's that was the really uh, category fun. in the enemies... Uh, the enemies. The Emmys that these guys won, uh, like, a couple months back. Game of Thrones wins, wins an award for being just fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not terrible. All yeah. right, so let's wrap this up before I uh, before I go on. I will say that um, 
I put out a poll on our uh, Twitter, which we only have like two followers, about whether it'd be a good idea or not to uh, do a Walking Dead podcast. Resoundably, people said no. <laughs> but guess what? It's going to happen anyway. Fuck you guys. Uh, it's just probably going to be me just bitching about the episode. <laughs> Tim, have you ever watched Walking Dead? Uh, yeah, I watched a little bit. I think I watched the first couple seasons, and then I just got kind of, yeah, not interested. In it, it is not a good show at all, and I always fall out of love with it. I always watch it, and then get mad at it, and give it up, and then binge on it on Netflix, uh, you know, like two years later, which is what happened. So Yeah, that's what I always figured I would come back, but I just haven't yet. I, I definitely, it was the end of season two where I was like... I don't know if I need to keep watching this. No, it's not good. Um, but like yeah. I said, like every, every time, like I'm I'm either sick and home, and like I'm just like, oh, I'll just watch, I'll see what's up with like season four, and then I'll end up watching the entire uh, season oh, okay. over a weekend. Um, but yeah, I just finished up season six on Netflix, and um, I'm kind of interested right now. I might give up on it. Whatever. Uh, we also had a suggestion to do a podcast on um, Westworld. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I just don't think we could talk about Westworld for an hour. Um, has anybody been watching that? No, I, I, I haven't started it yet. Uh, it's it's yeah. definitely good. Um, I've heard, heard the thing. Yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot of crazy themes. Like, you know, there's, you know, uh, personal identity. You never know who's like a really, like a robot. They have to do with like, you know, if people were given an unlimited power, would they be, you know, naturally good or naturally evil? I think that's the Locke-Hobbs debate. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of rich ground for uh, philosophical philosophical thought. I just don't know whether the narrative's going to pay off. I feel like it's going to be like Lost or um, the the leftovers. Um, but yeah. having but having said all that, I, it's a pretty good show right now. I recommend you check out uh, Westworld. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get started on it. Maybe probably maybe this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, why not? That's seems a resounding good. endorsement yeah. from Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well give it a shot. But I actually noticed something on like iTunes. There's, I think there's already like 25 Westworld podcasts that popped up. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's the thing is I don't, I don't think I'll, I'll be able to add anything. Um, so Agreed. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, obviously, I don't know if we're adding anything with this show. I just enjoy Agreed. talking about it, and I think there's, <laughs> I think there's just so much more to discuss because it's gone on so long. Oh. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Tim, for being on. Thank you, oh. Debbie. Thanks for having me. And we're going to extend this uh, invitation to come back whenever. All right, guys, for Brian, uh, this is Doug. And for Tim, uh, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next Tuesday. Brian, nothing? Uh, What do you want me to say? (laughs) You need to have a (laughs) sign-off. You got to sign off. So long, fellers. (laughs) Terrific. 